Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, yeah, yeah, we're glad to be here. Yeah, all right, good, good. I want to welcome everybody here in the room, everybody watching online as well. So, so let me begin with this. There is a disease that I've noticed certain people in the church suffer from. And, and if you've ever been to a church worship service, you've seen this. Maybe you suffer from it yourself. It's called rhythmic impairment, okay? Uh-huh. And rhythmic impairment means you can't clap and sing at the same time. Like you have to pick one or the other. And in every church, there are at least a few people who suffer from this tragic disease. And I think we just need to own it, okay? We need to bring awareness to it. So if that's you this morning, if you literally cannot clap and sing, would you raise your hand for us? Okay, put them up high. Yeah, it's not many, but those who raise their hand, be kind to them, okay? Like, leave them alone. Because the rest of you coming to church, you're like, oh, I can't wait to clap and sing. And they come into church going, dear God, I hope we don't do both because... And these are oftentimes the same people who don't dance at weddings, right? Because uh, people call 911 thinking they're having seizures or something. So, Anyhow, <laughs> there's a purpose for this illustration, really. You know, if you've ever been down to Mexico or, or a foreign country, if you've been to a worship service there, and you notice how long their worship services can be? I mean, sometimes they're going to go on for 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and they are singing and clapping the entire time, sometimes, some of the worship services I've been a part of. So if you suffer from rhythmic impairment, just be grateful that around here we just do it sporadically, okay, just every once in a while, right? But this whole dynamic of singing and clapping, it got me to thinking, like, why do we do that in the first place? Like, what's the purpose? And I think the answer is pretty simple. It's an expression of our joy, our enthusiasm, right? We're into the music, we're into the lyrics, we're present there with the song. And so we applaud and we clap because we're happy, we're celebrating. And for those of you who've been on a mission trip, have you happened to notice down there that the people there in general, whether you're in Mexico, wherever you're at, they seem to exude more joy? And not just when they're singing, but overall. How many of you have had that experience where you've been to a foreign country and you're blown away by that? Yeah, every time I've gone down to Mexico, I'm just floored by you know, how little they have materialistically and yet how joyful they are. And so this whole dynamic, this whole concept of this exceeding joy that people have in these foreign countries, it led me down many years ago a long introspective road. And I want to take you down that road with me this morning because at the end of the road is a very profound truth. So many, many years ago, I came back from a missions trip to Piedras Negras, Mexico, and I started reflecting. And the first thought I had was, you know, how is it that they enjoy worship so much that they can engage in worship for like hours on end? Like, why is that? And when they sing, they seem to be singing louder and their hearts are more into it. Why? And I thought, well, do they just enjoy music maybe more than we do? And I concluded, no, that's not the case because they had that same joy before and after the worship time. And as I reflected on this, I came to the conclusion that one of the reasons is the fact that they were less distracted in their worship. Like they came in focused, they were more engaged, they paid attention to the lyrics, and it seemed like every word they were singing really meant something to them. And, and 
They recognized the truth. They really believed that Jesus was present with them while they were worshiping. You know, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. They believed that. And so the essence of what I came away with was they were present in the moment. It was that simple. They were present in the moment. And then I got to thinking about like the kids that I engaged with down there. You know, most of the children, the youth, they didn't have all the media, right, all the electronic devices, the gaming devices, cell phones, and so forth. So when they were together, they weren't isolating themselves like with their heads staring down at the screen. They were engaged with each other. You know, just playing soccer or a simple card game like Uno or Go Fish. I mean, it was like an entirely different culture. And the people there were present with each other relationally. In fact, one day, we went out to the outskirts of Piedras Negras, to some of the slums in Mexico where the people, I mean, the families out there, they literally have like nothing. I say they have nothing, but they had something on the inside. I mean, their smiles were just so engaging, so warm. And, you know, they're toys that the kids have. They're all primitive, homemade things, but, but they had this joy. And I was like, why is that? And I realized that they recognize they have each other. And they found great joy just in being together relationally. There's a deep satisfaction in that. Case in point, one day, we spent hours and hours at the home of a family there in Piedras Negras. And we were just chatting, visiting, getting to know each other, connecting relationally. And can I just be honest with you? I am not a relational hermit. Like, I, I like people, okay? I really enjoy spending time with people to a certain degree. But man, I was anxious to get out of there way before they were done. Like in my mind, I was moving on to my next action item about two hours before we left. And when we finally got up to leave and inside I'm going, oh, hallelujah, right? The couple came over, I kid you not, and they said, hey, could you come back sometime when we have more time to visit? And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? But I spent some time thinking about that. And when I got back, I started thinking about our culture here, like the culture we live in and, and how so often, we're so busy doing that we're often not just being. We're so busy doing that we're often not being present with people. And if I'm honest with myself and honest with you, I am often present, okay? Meaning I'm there in a person's locality, but I'm not really present. Like meaning my heart and mind are somewhere else. Can anybody else in here relate to that? Am, am I the only one? Okay. Man, we have a bunch of liars in this place. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Okay, by the end of this message, I'll drag you back into reality. But, but here's the thing. I think this is a huge cultural issue that we need to address. And I think it may be the reason that we're not experiencing the joy that our brothers and sisters in these other countries have. It's the fact that we're not giving people the gift of our presence, right? That we are there, we're, we're present with people, but we're not really present with people. And I would submit to you that if that's the case, then we're not really living out New Testament Christianity either. So what I want to do right now is I just want to open up God's word for a moment. And we're going to do things a little bit differently here. I want you to just sit back and listen, okay? Just listen. I'm going to read you quite a number of passages of Scripture that have to do with how relational Christianity is meant to be. Because I think we all know this up here, right? Jesus said the greatest commandment is love to love God, to love our neighbors, ourselves. And when the New Testament begins to spell out what love looks like, it includes being present in people's lives, being invested in others. It is thoroughly relational. And if you let these verses sink in, I think you'll realize that the only way you can fulfill your calling as a Christian is to be deeply present 
with people. So for example, how often should we be involved in building other people up? Well, Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily, every single day. Should we have surface level relationships or something more? Well, 1 Peter 1.22 says, have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply, deeply from the heart. Now, should we just give little nudges to people and, and mind our own business? But Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Look at the beginning of this verse again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Any San Antonio Spurs fans in here? <laughs> Think about their logo and you get the idea of how we need to be kicking each other into gear at times. But you can't do that with somebody that you're not friends, someone you're not close with. I mean, a stranger isn't going to put up with that. Only someone you're relationally tight with. Speaking of being present and involved in each other's lives, listen to the description here of the Christians in the early church. This is Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To fellowship, being together, sharing things in common, sharing their life in common to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, how about one final passage that speaks to how present we need to be in each other's lives? Paul's wrapping up his letter to the Romans, and he concludes with a lengthy section that has to do with very practical application. And he's talking about how we need each other as Christians, just like the different parts of the body are needed for the human body to function properly. And just listen to these portions from Romans 12, 4 to 8. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Hmm. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul's saying we need each other. We can't do things well all by ourselves. And finally, Paul launches into a whole barrage of what love being present in people's lives looks like. And this is Romans 12, 9 to 18. We'll end with this. He says, love must be sincere. Sincere. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think I can drop the mic here and say the model of Christianity spelled out in this book right here in the New Testament, it demands that we be integrally involved, very present in people's lives, period, end of argument. It demands that we give people the gift of our presence. And can I just say that in our culture in America today, for the most part, we're terrible at this, just terrible. And I think it's getting worse, and there's a reason for that. And I think the reason has something to do with the fact that we are so distracted, distracted all the time, distracted in ways that people in other countries like like Mexico don't have to deal with, at least not to the same degree that we do. I thought about this. We're distracted by our possessions, distracted by our toys, distracted by the demands of life, distracted by the next item on our to-do list, distracted by our hobbies, distracted by the media distracted by technology, distracted by our little electronic devices like this. And boy, oh boy, this is a big one. We're going to come back to this. But the bottom line is this. Our distractions are killing our ability to be relationally present with other people. And when we're not present with other people, it kills our joy in life. And here's the concept I want you to consider today. This is the main point. Presence influences joy and happiness in life. How present you are with people, with others. How present you are in the moment. It influences joy and happiness in life. I think we all want to be joyful. We all want to be happy in life. And I think we know intuitively that presence influences joy and happiness because we've been on the flip side of this. I mean, all of us in here, you've been with somebody where you're present with them, but but they're not really present with you. You know what I mean? Where they're kind of looking beyond you. They're looking past you. They're distracted. How many of you have experienced something like that? Raise your hands up. Yeah. And you don't exactly feel happy in those moments, do you? You actually feel like, well, I'm not very important to you right now. I remember one day I was having a conversation with a guy, and he actually asked me a deep question. And so I'm busy. I'm explaining to him. I'm answering his question. It's a pretty significant conversation. And I noticed that he's, he's hardly even looking. He's like looking beyond me. And then his eyes would revert back to me, and, and then he'd look past me again. And, Then he looked back to me, and finally, I just looked over my shoulder to see what this guy was looking at, and he's staring at a hot dog stand, okay? (laughs) Came in second place to a bunch of wieners, all right? But but you all know what that feels like, don't you? Where the lack of somebody's presence kind of affects how you feel about yourself. And folks, this whole concept, there is so much data and research to back this up. Yeah, recently, there's some fascinating studies coming out of Cornell University. And I'll spare you all the boring research stuff. I'll just tell you it involved chocolate, all right? Like, hello, I'm in. Yeah, some of you guys just woke up. Chocolate. And here's what they did, okay? They took a whole bunch of pieces of chocolate, and they told the research participants that it was chocolate from various countries around the world. They labeled it differently the whole bit. But the truth was, it was all chocolate from the same source. Are you tracking? It's the same chocolate, same chocolate bar, whatever. But they've labeled it differently, and they've convinced the research participants that it's all different. And they wanted them to evaluate how good the chocolate was on a scale of 1 to 10. And so here's how it went down. Here's what they did. The researchers would sit and engage with the people while they were tasting this chocolate. But occasionally, the researcher would not be present, not literally leave physically, but kind of look down at his or her phone or maybe scribble something down on a clipboard. 
And it was so fascinating because they found whenever the person was tasting the chocolate and the researcher was present and paying attention, they would always rate the chocolate higher. And then when the researcher would, would not really be present, look down at the phone, write something down, they would rate the chocolate lower. And so they came up with quantifiable evidence of what we already know to be true anyway, right? That presence amplifies one's experience. And actually, I think we learned this from a very, very young age. And I remember when my kids were little and getting ready to do something, it could be anything, something small, something silly, like jump over a chair or hit a baseball, whatever. If I was in the general vicinity, they would always say, hey, dad, 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 watch this, watch this. And I would stop what I'm doing, pay attention to them, give them some props, and then I'd go back to whatever I was doing. And sure enough, a few seconds later, dad, 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 hey, watch me, watch this. So why did my son want his dad watching him? Well, because he learned at a very young age that presence with someone who cares about you makes the experience much more delightful. He doesn't want just anybody watching him. He wants dad watching. He wants someone who cares about him watching him. So this whole concept of presence, I think, is a very powerful value. In fact, I would submit to you that this whole idea of presence is a God value. It's rooted in the very character of God. I mean, first of all, God is present with himself within the Godhead, within the Trinity, three persons in one being. Now, that concept is deep. It's mind-blowing. But it speaks of community and presence within the Godhead. And then God, he creates the world, he creates mankind, and immediately he is present with Adam and Eve there in the garden. And then when they sin and it separates us from God, God isn't going to lay back. God's going to move back in again. And he's present again in the tabernacle and then in the temple and through his spirit. And then because of his great love for us, God wants to be even more present with us. And so he comes in human form, in Jesus. Take a look at John 1.14. says, so the word, that's Jesus, The word became human and made his home among us. We know this as the incarnation. And then Jesus, he walks this earth. He has his ministry. He teaches all the things we have recorded in the Bible. And then he's crucified. He's resurrected. He ascends to heaven. And he gives a promise. It's the promise that his presence will be with us yet again through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3. Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. You can't be much more present than within, can you? So if presence is this God value, this spiritual value, don't you think that you and I ought to be more engaged with people? You and I ought to value presence more. And some of you, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, yeah, presence is important, but I'm present with people all the time. Okay, Spunky, that may may be your experience, right? But that's not common. That doesn't typify our culture. Here's a picture of what our culture looks like today. I would call this the new normal right here, right? I mean, we may be knee to knee, but it's no longer eye to eye. It's eye to screen. This is everywhere, people. Just go out to a restaurant sometime and look around. I mean, it's married couples, it's friends with friends, it's adults who are screen obsessed. In fact, this is the saddest one to me where the parents are so distracted by their devices and the kid is just left alone. See, here's the problem that we face. 
Here's the problem. We're so distracted by our phones, our notifications, our likes, our online presence, that we're missing being present in real life, in real life. And this little guy right here, I'm telling you, this is a big part of the problem. And folks, this is not just a younger generation problem either. I know adults in their 80s who are just glued to the latest notifications, the latest feed on their phones. And so they're not present with the people who are around them. Now, is this socially acceptable in our society today? Yeah, it is. Well, then is it really that big a deal? Yeah, I think it's a really big deal. You know, the American Psychological Association has come up with a term, you've probably heard it, it's called technoference. Technoference is the interference of technology in relationships. Technology is actually driving relationships to record low levels. You know, divorce lawyers are now seeing mobile phones and social media showing up in separation and, and lawsuit settlements, all these kinds of things. I'm telling you, the data that backs this up, there is so much data to back this up. And you're totally welcome to disagree with me and be wrong, okay? <laughs> when you get to heaven, you'll see I was right. <clears throat> Folks, day after day, I mean, just the other day, there was a new study linking phone usage to depression and loneliness. And this thing is so little. It weighs less than seven ounces. And yet it has a huge impact on our ability or inability to connect, to be present with other people. Because the truth is, when you're connected to everybody out there, it actually means that you're disconnected from the people right here. I'm just curious, how many of you think this is a real issue? Raise your hand if you think this is a real problem. Yeah, see, we recognize this. And for those who want to pretend that you just live in the land of this is not that big a deal, let me just say this. Uh, even the developers of these devices, they're now coming out with apps, with programs to help people monitor the overusage of this device, our abuse of cell phones. And I got to thinking about this. It's really the equivalent of back when cigarette companies started printing warning labels on the packages saying, you know, cigarette smoking causes cancer. A few years ago, Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, when he was introducing the new iOS operating system, he basically said, we're now going to help people understand how much time they're spending on our phones. And in fact, while I was at Sun City, it happens every Sunday morning, I get a little screen notification, and it tells me how I'm doing. Like, you average 25 hours a day on your phone, right? It's like, whew. Somebody said this, they've sold us a bomb, and now they're teaching us how to dismantle it. Hmm. This is a bomb. I'm telling you, it's blowing up our attention spans. It's blowing up our memory. It's blowing up our creativity, blowing up our stress blowing up our sleep, blowing up our exercise, and it's blowing up relationships. And, and please, let me just be clear here. I am not saying that technology is bad. I mean, when it's used properly and it actually works, I, I love it. It's, it's awesome. Technology is great. I've got an iPhone. I have a MacBook Pro. I've got a desktop. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I rarely post. I just troll. I, I stalk people, okay? <laughs> I'm not anti-technology. Like, I'm not asking you to become Amish and flee electricity, right? I'm asking you just be honest and evaluate, how are you doing with this thing? Like, is this thing getting in the way of being present with people? Getting in the way of bringing happiness to others? I'm not advocating for phone abstinence. I'm advocating for phone consciousness. 
Because I really don't think that technology is the problem. I think this whole thing is a relational issue. And it boils down to the fact that we don't know how to control ourselves. And so smartphones are making us dumb with people. Smartphones are making us dumb with people. So as individuals who have been designed by God to be relational beings, like, what do we do with that? How do we push back against culture? The big question is, how do we become countercultural and value presence when we're with people? How do we become countercultural and increase the happiness of the people around us? How do we become countercultural and put people first before glancing at our texts or our notification or you know, social media, our apps, whatever we have? I mean, how do you do that when there's no Bible verse that says, thou shalt limit thy phone use, right? I got one for you. It's Romans 12, 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let me say that again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we do that? Well, that's for next week, Okay. <laughs> I know, I know, you love it when I do this. I get kind of a sick pleasure out of it, but anyway. I promise you, it'll be worth coming back for. Let's pray. Lord, uh, hmm. I know there's been some conviction in my heart this past week. With each and every one of these points, I know how distracted I become. I know how I get my to-do list, and I'm trying to check it off as quickly as possible, and I'm with people, but I'm looking beyond them. Sometimes I'm, I'm on to the next task. I'm distracted. I know how often this little booger here, this iPhone, blows up and distracts me from being present and influences the joy and happiness in my own life and, and what I can bring to others and how I make others feel. So, God, I, I think for myself, for my brothers and sisters in here, we, we've got some work to do in this area. And I just pray that you would direct us through your Holy Spirit Help us to be honest in evaluating how we're doing and how much value we place on the presence of people and being engaged. Lord, we looked at all these passages in the New Testament. It's so clear that we can't just be barely engaged, barely scratching the surface. That's not loving our neighbors ourselves. And God, I recognize that this, this is stuff that it applies for us, whether we're introverts or extroverts. In fact, it doesn't even have to do as much with the quantity of time as the quality of time we spend with people. So as we continue next week to, to look at your example, Jesus, to look at some other passages in the New Testament, I pray that you would convict us and work in our hearts that we might be more present in every moment, in everything we do, and not so distracted. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so next week we'll finish this up, but you guys have a great week. Bye-bye.